You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, the district you live in could change shape after data from the latest census come in, and the city hears from people about how they define themselves and where they think lines should be drawn. In the last round of redistricting, the Portola district was divided into multiple districts. There was a push from the community to kind of be closer together in the same district. Um, so that's another example of like what had happened last time, how you can actually like really make your voice heard. If you that there's like a, a street on in your neighborhood and you're like, wait, that doesn't make any sense to me. This is where you can say like, no, that block absolutely belongs in our district. It makes more sense. Those are my neighbors. We go to the same coffee shop. We go to the same laundromat kind of things. I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Civic. Before we get started, at the Public Press, which is Civic's parent organization, we've been working really hard during this pandemic to pursue angles we're not seeing much coverage of elsewhere, or to take a more systemic look at the issues that are surfacing in the headlines. The San Francisco Public Press is a nonprofit, and we're inspired by the public radio model. That's the idea that people who are able to support the work that we do so everyone can have access to it without paywalls or ads. If you think we're onto something, we'd very much appreciate if you could show your support. You can do that by going to sfpublicpress.org slash donate or by helping us get the word out about this show. Subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use or leave us a review. It really does help. So thanks. You might have heard about redistricting, the process by which electoral districts are drawn across the nation and the state, and that the decennial census is important in part because it affects this process. Well, that also takes place at the local level, and it could change which supervisorial district you live in. That process is expected to get started relatively soon, and one group that's been watching closely and that wants to make sure people know about this is the League of Women Voters of San Francisco. I talked with their president, Allison Go. Um, I'm hoping that we can start with the very, very basics. Why are the supervisorial district lines in San Francisco being redrawn, and why are they getting redrawn regularly? Yeah, uh, this is a really good question. So uh, our districts get redrawn every 10 years um, and redistricting determines who appears on our ballot and what parts of the city they're going to represent. Redistricting, it can really affect our community's ab ability to elect a supervisor who represents your interests in response to your needs. Um, so when we replace it, re participate in this process of re local redistricting, we really have a voice in our democracy here in San Francisco. Why do they get redrawn? I mean, why not stick with the versions that we had 10 years ago? <laughs> uh, that's a fair question. You know, people move, populations change, um, and that, that's just a process that we have to go through every 10 years. So redistricting in general, I mean, countrywide, is based on the census. And the 2020 census was delayed for a number of reasons, including the pandemic. And not only was it delayed, there were also a few major concerns about its completeness because of the way that the Trump administration was talking about it and was making efforts to exclude undocumented immigrants from the count. Does that, the delay and this, these concerns about completeness, do those factor into San Francisco's redistricting work? So I would say yes and no uh, simultaneously. <laughs> so we are, as you may, as you were alluding to, the census data has uh, the U.S. Census Bureau announced a six-month delay of redistricting data. Um, so we expect this information to be ready in September. 
This is, again, six months later than they had anticipated. So this really uh, affects that there is going to be a condensed timeline for the election and appointment process for the members of the San Francisco Redistricting Redistricting Task Force. This also affects the amount of time that the task force needs to carry out its duties. Um, But at the same time, this doesn't affect what we can be doing in the meantime, because there's a lot of things that San Francisco can be doing um, while waiting for the official census data. Are you concerned about an undercount or a potential undercount affecting the way that districts are drawn in San Francisco? Um, that's we're, we're, us as the League of Women Voters. We're really focused on the process of redistricting and making sure that it's transparent and equitable and that communities of interest and San Francisco residents have an equal voice in the process itself. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this process in the ways that it people might be most familiar with the, the term redistricting. I think most voters are familiar with a practice known as gerrymandering. If you draw the boundaries of precincts so that people who vote one way are clustered together to create a majority while splitting up people who tend to vote the other way. So they end up the minority in their district, even if they're majority in their immediate area. You can skew voting results that way. And this is very common practice in the U.S. It makes some intuitive sense to me how that would work at a state or national level. But the League of Women Voters is trying to educate people about redistricting at a local level, in particular pushing for you know fair representation. Are they unfair now? Is gerrymandering a local phenomenon too? I think when we're when we're talking about what we as the, as the league are talking about, we're we're really um, again talking about specific. Uh, transparency and getting involved with the process, even before we get to, say, drawing the map of where the lines are. There's so much listening uh, and seeing where communities kind of identify and what their boundaries are. Um, one one term you'll hear in the redistricting process is communities of interest. Uh, mm-hmm. What a community of interest is, is basically it's people who live near each other who would benefit from living in the same border supervised district, um, people of the same identity. For example, if you're living in a neighborhood and you divide a community of interest and folks don't know who their border supervisor is, that becomes a problem. And the thing about these communities of interest is that they identify themselves. Uh, The government doesn't identify them. This like listening process is one that takes time. Um, So that's one thing that we hope that San Francisco can do is in this meantime, while we are waiting for the census data, have these conversations with the public, with these communities of interest, all these really wonderful community and cultural districts we have in San Francisco, and talk to them about like where these communities of interest lie, how they identify, if if they feel like they're confused about what their, their district lines are. And these are conversations that take time in order to get a good map and figure out where all these where where the lines uh, kind of fit naturally where so that we're not dividing these communities can you give an example i mean i think that there's there like i used to cover the mission district and um district nine you know has had a boundary to the west i believe where you know one side of the street was one it was district nine and the other side of the street was a different district i think it was d8 um, and it was always sort of mysterious to me how that was decided. But um, but maybe you could you could give an example of like how a community 
is identified or identifies itself and says, yeah, this is where <laughs> my community stops. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, this is part of the process that we're advocating that the, that San Francisco takes now is to listen to these communities, to hear them say like, well, no, we actually belong in the Mission District. Um, and if you look at the maps from the last round, um, you can kind of see where the changes are. I just pulled up a map of District 9 and you can see where in the 2002 district it was it involved a little bit more west of Valencia and then the 20 uh the, the and then the that round of redistricting kind of shifted a little bit more to grow District 9 in kind of a northern it kind of got longer Mm. <laughs> um, rather and longer and skinnier based on I identity. And these communities of interest, uh, again, these are public meetings that uh, the task force in the city and the border supervisors can have with community members, cultural districts, people inside the district who can really inform this because it's, again, it's not government. It's, the map is not the first step. The first step is listening and hearing where people identify and where they think the lines should be. Do you have any idea which communities said, yeah, we really kind of think that this neighborhood and this neighborhood should have the same supervisor that led to that sort of elongation of District 9? You know, that's a good question. I, I was not around in the last round, so I'm not quite sure on that. Mm -hmm. um, I would have to probably reach out to somebody and ask them what they think about that. Yeah. I, maybe you could go at this a different way. I, I'm curious if you could name a specific community that might lead to a change in a district line. Like you were mentioning um, community benefit districts or Cultural districts. Sorry, you were you were talking about cultural districts. I imagine that um, you know it would probably be a bad idea for a government to come in and say we're going to draw this line straight down the middle of Twenty Fourth Street, and one side of Twenty Fourth Street is in one district, and the other side is in another district. Is that kind of what you're talking about, or, or do you have other groups in mind that you could um, that would exemplify a community? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that might be a really good good, good example. Um, is that yeah, community and cultural districts, I think, are are a good example of that, actually. Other examples are uh, in the, the last round of redistricting, there was a divide in the Portola. Uh, so the, the Portola district was divided into multiple districts uh, in the last round. And so in the last redistricting process, there was a push from the community to kind of be closer together in the same district. Um, so that's another example of like what had happened last time um, and mm. like how the how you can actually like really make your voice heard. Um, if you if your district is if you that there's like a, a street on in your neighborhood and you're like, wait, that doesn't make any sense to me. This is where you can say like, no, that block absolutely belongs in our district. It makes more sense. Those are my neighbors. We go to the same coffee shop. We go to the same laundromat um, kind of thing. So. So it's not even necessarily that you want people in your district or you might want people in your district because they vote the same way. It's that you want the same person to be on the board of supervisors representing the interests of, of that group of people rather than having that split among different supervisors. Am I getting this right? Right. 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 I think it's it's a lot about where you where you, again, communities of interest, people who identify along with each other, not necessarily on a political basis, but on a neighborhood basis, have the same interests, mm. 
and live amongst each other. So the league wrote a pretty substantial letter to the mayor, city attorney, board of supervisors, and elections officials with recommendations for how to make this a successful redistricting process. And one of the things that it recommends is that the city make sure that the application process to be selected for the task force is equitable and accessible. And it says that the city should allocate appropriate administrative support to share information about the application timeline, selection process, the application itself, and supporting materials to the city's various communities of interest. There's that word again taking into account reaching a diversity of race, ethnicity, culture, language, age, gender, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, and other factors. Um, and that, I think, is is not just about the commission, which I do want to talk about more in a little bit, but also about um, just making sure that people know about this process, because it sounds like in order for it to work, you need everybody as many people as possible to show up and say, actually, this is where I think the lines should be drawn. Because if the communities don't self-identify, how do you make sure that people know that this is going on um, so that those communities of interest can identify themselves? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, so we wrote this letter to the mayor uh, when we were lot, like you saw focused on a lot of transparency and process. Uh, and we wanted to make sure that folks have representation are able to weigh in on this. Um, and we're hopefully going to meet with more board of supervisors uh, offices on this. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of groups who are interested in this. Um, I think SF Rising, Fair Vote are just two that come to mind. Uh, there's a lot of communities that would love to weigh in on this. And I mean, if we look to Oakland, Oakland is is actually an example of a place of a city that is doing a lot even without the census data. Uh, their mm-hmm. redistricting commission has um, been convened. They've been holding public hearings already uh, scheduled. They're happening. It's on their website. Oakland met on redistricting in October of last year. Um, wow. So again, there's a lot that can be done while we're waiting on the census data to ensure that the public can weigh in so that we have all of these communities of interest. And again, an equitable and diverse audience of the public and residents in San Francisco wing. And in the more time and the more open and transparent you can make that, the more communities you can have weighing in on this really important decision. How do you make folks take time out of their day? Like if we're, if we're trying to reach just residents who are not part of any um, advocacy groups, how do you convince them that this is worth their time to participate in, that they, that they should be paying attention to this and uh, should weigh in? Yeah, I mean, civics is is a thing. <laughs> uh, we at the league think that folks should really get involved with. You know, we also believe c- civics should be a topic in school. It should be a topic wherever we are because it and our votes all matter. Um, and this is just another way that we can all make sure that our our, our votes count and that our our votes are really pointing to things that really matter to us. Um, And I understand like not everybody has time every single day to like go and attend a government meeting, (laughs) but we can submit comments. We can um, maybe get engaged with a local group and there may be public listening sessions in your neighborhood and be really accessible. It's not all going to be a meeting downtown at city hall, right? Like some of these may be in our neighborhood. We're just hoping that. Yeah, I think that the league is also called in, in its letter um, for these meetings that are going to be about the redistricting to be available online remotely, um, as they have been during the pandemic. Do you think that will 
you know, that the <laughs> remote access meetings should continue uh, even beyond the pandemic. Yeah, and this is something that we've called upon the city to do, um, not only on redistricting, but around police accountability. We had written a letter last year to have public virtual meetings as well, uh, as, I mean, things in the pandemic, it, our, our lives all changed for reasons one or another, and government transparency didn't stop in the pandemic. And we encourage San Francisco government to have these virtual public meetings um, to make them more accessible. And, you know, I can't speak for the government, but I know that as a league, we are thinking that even post mass vaccinations and whenever things open up a little bit more, we're probably going to live in a hybrid world because folks can't always find childcare to uh, attend a meeting or maybe maybe they had a really hard day at work and still but still want to participate or maybe they can, they can't leave their house for whatever reason um and but they still want to make sure that their voice is heard and this is just another way we can make sure the breach people and make sure that uh they are have a voice in their government and uh the the everything that affects them around I'm speaking with Allison Go, president of the League of Women Voters of San Francisco. Okay, I want to pivot to talking about the redistricting task force, which we've already mentioned a couple of times. Um, but again, back to basics here for a second. The, there's <laughs> there's a suggestion that, that this exists already, but I'm honestly not totally sure that that is the case because the the city's website about the redistricting task force has almost no detail, and it links to a page about the redistricting process from the 2010 census, which is a long text that just repeatedly makes references to an elections task force and not the redistricting task force. So maybe you can start by explaining um, what is the current status of the redistricting task force? <laughs> you know, this is fair. Um, so we are, our league volunteers dig around um, on government websites a lot and spend a lot of time reading government policy reading government websites so that they can point our folks, not only our members, but also others in the public to the appropriate website, because there's a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And it took us a while to find the 2020 redistricting FAQs page. Uh, oh, it exists. It exists. My <laughs> bad. I hadn't no, seen that. I, I but I feel better now that you're telling me it took you a while to find it, too. It took us a while to find it. Uh, <laughs> but it does exist. Um, and so the redistricting task force... They're accepting applications by May 3rd for this. So we encourage anybody who is interested in that to apply to that. So the redistricting task force consists of nine members, three folks by, from the Elections Commission, three appointed by the Board of Supervisors, and then three from the mayor. Um, and then these three seats that, that we are asking uh, that we have, I've mentioned that you can apply for are from the Elections Commission. So that's three mm. of the seats uh, on the task force itself. The task force should be broadly representative of these communities. And but it's not it's not and it's not a requirement in the charter. Um, but we would like to to see and make sure that the task force is representative. So just to be super clear, it has not yet been convened. Applications are open. The task force is not yet seated. No. 
Okay. Yeah, that's correct. So yeah, the, the task force has not been convened. It is not seated. People haven't met each other yet. <laughs> um, so that's, this is another thing that we can point to as things that can be done while the census, while we're waiting for the census data is yeah. appoint, the, appoint the task force, convene it, set some meetings, have everybody meet each other, you know, like, this is a virtual world. We don't even know each other half the time. But if you like set a meeting or folks know that like that's when the task force will be meeting each other and and, and like know each other, these are steps in the right direction, but it hasn't been convened yet and hasn't been set. It seems to me like a big part of the task force's work is going to be just getting the word out about the fact that San Francisco's supervisor districts are going to get redrawn, which frankly, I was not thinking about when I was thinking about the census data and how that's going to affect redistricting at a at the federal or state level. Can work on that front in terms of outreach, public notification, um, awareness be done before the data comes in? Yes, all of a lot of the things that we are calling for um, can be done before the data is 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 in from the census. And I completely understand the like you hear about redrawing maps and things like that. And there's a lot of discussion about national maps and congressional districts. But here in San Francisco, since we are the League of Women Voters in San Francisco, we focus on local issues, which is why we are so tuned into our local board of supervisors lines. Um, and all of these things that we think sh- can and should be done by the city uh, can be enacted before the census data is, you know, listening to the communities, having these public meetings, getting to know where these communities of interest are, convening a, a task force, um, having having a set meeting schedule, knowing where all these things will go. It can go a long way so that once the census data is released in September and that shortened period of time for comments happens, we're already prepared for it. The League, we are hosting an event on April 29th. It's an educational event focused on redistricting, and we welcome everybody to come. It's open to the public. You can register on our Zoom online. We have two really exciting speakers. We're going to have Eric McDonald from the 2011 San Francisco Redistricting Task Force, as well as Helen Hutchinson from the League of Women Voters of California to talk about it on the state level. So that'll be a really exciting and interesting educational event that we invite everybody to attend. Are there some basics that the task force is going to have to contend with in terms of what a district needs to have? Um, Like, do there need to be a certain number of people in each district? Does it need to have any other characteristics um, that are independent of what the data will end up showing? When the task force is drawing districts, they, they this is when they have to follow the like federal local laws and regulations. And this is the same at the local level as you may hear in the, the state or national level where districts all have to have roughly the same number of people. Um, mm-hmm. But then again, because of the census data, we won't know the number of people that we're supposed to divide into even districts until the census data is here. So... As a result, this is why we need to draw the new maps to account for the ways that populations have changed, moved around the city, moved across districts, moved into new districts. It'll all kind of become clearer as we get the census data in the end. But again, these are conversations that can happen in advance of knowing the exact goal number per district. Mm-hmm. Are there any other requirements? Like, is there any restriction on how... <laughs> 
the, on the shape of these districts, like thinking again about gerrymandering, like is there any rule that says, well, you can't just like cut out, I don't know, one building on a block and add it to a district? When we're coming to drawing these shapes of districts, the only rule is that they need to be contiguous. So this is why sometimes you get a possibly strangely shaped district because of whatever line you're cutting out, whatever thing. But the rule, the basis of the rule is it just has to be contiguous and make sense, which is why you go back to the idea of the communities of interest to keep all those communities of interest together. So say that one neighborhood identifies as being a part of blank neighborhood because they, that's how they identify. Then, then that's, that's, that's what they would advocate for. And contiguous just means that you can't have any, you know, streets or neighborhoods or whatever, any addresses that are not in a district. Yeah, you can't have like an island blob as like part of a thing. Oh, oh, okay. So you can't say like, this is District 9 and then also this bit over here in the sunset is also District 9. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Got it, got it. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> um, I wanted to go back to this letter for a minute because there's a lot in there that I have to say I'm a bit surprised if we don't already have it. For example, um, the league has laid out that the city should establish minimum standard qualifications for redistricting task force members appointed by either the Elections Commission, the Board of Supervisors, or the mayor. Um, Maybe you could talk about what some of those requirements ought to be um, and whether or not they're already in place. So, yes, our letter specified a lot of standard, minimum standard qualifications for redistricting task forces. These positions that we listed in our league were based off of our League of Women Voters National and California League positions and best practices adopted at the state level for conflict of interest. The Elections Commission has some set standards for its appointed seats. And in the last time in 2011, the ordinance that convened the task force added some requirements. And the Board of Supervisors could add requirements in the ordinance convening the 2021 redistricting task force, like these recommendations that we made in our letter. But as of right now, there's no, there aren't a lot of minimum standard qualifications so much in our charter, uh, which is why we put them out there. And they are based off of our Legal Women Voters um, recommendations. So you mentioned the Elections Commission and the Board of Supervisors. The mayor, does the mayor have established um, minimum standard qualifications? Yeah, so the mayor does not have any... Uh, any specific minimum standard qualifications uh, unless there are they are set in the in the ordinance actually convening the task force itself um, so again none of this is is in the ordinance because the task force hasn't been convened which is why we wrote the letter to make sure that these are included in there yeah there's there's also a suggested requirement for um, experience and and demonstrating analytical skills relevant to the redistricting process. Are there people who might have experience with this who have not previously served on a redistricting task force? So how how what kind of experience might apply? Like what do you need to know to be a good redistricting task force member? I think a lot of what we've been talking about has been ability to listen and hear communities and um that's that's a skill that I think would come in handy for somebody doing redistricting is someone who can listen and understand the needs of the community and really coming from a place of wanting to make sure that it's an equitable and transparent process. Yeah. 
Can you talk more about the transparency element of this? Are there some markers of transparency that you would be really pleased to see in this redistricting process that you're you're hoping are put in place? Yeah, that's a that's a good question, and that's something that the league, I think, is we're we're really vocal and uh, passionate about. In transparency, is making sure that meetings are announced. Are they listed? Right. On, can you find when the where the meeting is? Uh, firstly, <laughs> can if you find the FAQ around, page? <laughs> on a website, where the heck is the schedule? Where yeah. is the meeting? Is there is there a link to a Zoom or a WebEx or whatever it is? Or in some world in the future where we gather in person? Is there a location listed? So mm-hmm. making sure that that information is easy to find in the first place. Secondly, is it is it publicly available? It's one thing to like list a meeting and maybe a, a dark corner of your website that you hope no one ever sees. <laughs> but then like, is it actually going to be accessible to people? Are you having it at a weird hour? Uh, are people going to go? Are, do people know about it? And then can they attend? So that's a lot about transparency is just making sure that these meetings are accessible. People know where they are. Are there notes? Um, can people listen in? Can people write public comment? And that's a lot of the transparency that the league is calling for right here. Mm-hmm. Real quick on the topic of accessibility and is it easy to figure out when this meeting is going to be? Mm-hmm. I think there's also mentioned in this letter from the league about uh, the digital divide and how not everybody has access to the internet. And so for if for those of us, it's diff- for those of us who are experienced with surfing the internet, uh, it's difficult to find information about this task force right now. I can't imagine how somebody who prefers to work on the phone or with paper documents would be able to find it. Is is there a good strategy for getting the word out to folks who are not? online right um and that's actually i mean it's super fair like i work on the internet all the time if if i spend 20 minutes and i can't find something again i can only imagine as somebody who's not a digital native trying to find on the internet or um somebody who's a non-native english speaker or um maybe they have a, a vision impairment and they 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 need the assistance of somebody else um you know these are all really hard things and this is why i think it's really important to make sure that we have other community groups and uh and partners in the space um especially in such in a a city like san francisco where we have communities that aren't online all the time people may still turn to their their neighborhood coffee shop you know their their local paper flyers that we have in our laundromats. Um, and those are ways and ways to get in touch with communities um, that aren't always surfing on a government website trying to dig up a meeting. Mm-hmm. Well, are there any final thoughts you want to share about redistricting and um, San Francisco's process for making that happen? No, I think this was a uh, thank you. First of all, thank you for having me and highlighting the League of Women Voters of San Francisco on your podcast. Um, we are very excited about getting involved in redistricting and really believe that there's a lot that can be done again once while we're waiting for the, the census data results, a lot of listening, a lot of community meetings and getting the public involved so that once the information does come out in the fall that we're ready to go um, because these listening to our communities uh, is going to take time and we want to make sure that these these conversations happen and are intentional in a diverse and equitable way. 
I also want to make sure that folks go to lwvsf.org slash redistricting. Again, this is our one-stop shop for all things redistricting, and we will keep updated over the coming weeks and months. I would also like to invite everybody to our event, our educational event on April 29th at 6 p.m. over Zoom, um, where we'll talk about what this means in San Francisco, talk about what the process looked like last time in 2011, um, and how folks can get involved right now and in their communities. All right. Well, Allison, thanks so much. Thank you. That was Allison Goh, president of the League of Women Voters of San Francisco. I'm Laura Wenis, and you've been listening to Civic. Civic is produced at KSFP LP 102.5 FM in San Francisco. Our theme music is by John Dillon. Our team includes producer and contributor Mel Baker and assistant producer Liana Wilcox. KSFP is a project of the San Francisco Public Press, a nonprofit investigative newsroom. Find our reporting at sfpublicpress.org. 